0: Welcome bienvenue, welcome, all you movers and shakers and indie art makers. Jay Michaels here in the Passion Pit. Indie theater wasn't always indie theater. In the 1950s, it was a place of protest. Rules were broken, stories were told another way, and actors that would have gone virtually ignored became powerful faces and figures in the industry. Somehow this theater of protest became off-off-Broadway recognized by unions and audience alike and called indie theater. The self-producing artist was here to stay. The same trajectory can be given to the art of cabaret. Cabaret has two sides of its musical coin. One side was tuxedo-clad nightclubs hearing big bands and singers, and the other side was smoke-filled establishments where you hear singers who, for one reason or another, weren't allowed in those aforementioned fancy-dressed nightclubs. Over the decades, it became a viable and joyous art form and a place for great artists to basically stand and deliver what they do best. Because of people who have championed the cause like Sydney Meyer, David Sabella, and my next guest, Cabaret is rising to the art form it so richly deserves to be. What began as a pleasant conversation about a joyous event in her life joyous event. Am I crazy? Amazing, incredible event. Sue Matsuki, who celebrates 33 years performing at Don't Tell Mama, not to mention 35 years in the cabaret industry, educated me on the heart and soul of cabaret. Let me do a few sponsor shout-outs, and then let's listen to Sue Matsuki. You'd like to attend more live performances, but who knows which shows are worth the time, money, and hassle. At Oplod, you'll find unbiased two- or three-minute video reviews that make the decision easy. Use offer code J, that's J-A-Y, by December 31st, 2019, for six months free unlimited access. A $59 value. Sign up now at Oplod.com. That's O P P L A U D.com. In the Passion Pit also welcomes a new sponsor to the program, D-L-W-Photography. That stands for Dan Lane Williams Photography, that is. Dan Lane is a brilliant photographer with years of experience as a photographer and as an actor. Why is that important? Because he understands what you want in photos. Headshots, press shots, archive shots. His acumen and understanding turns out compelling imagery sure to get that gig or that listing and make a dream come true. And he also photographs life events as well. So get him to do your headshot, then the press shot for the show it gets you, and then your wedding, since the producer will fall in love with you. Visit www.dlwphotographynyc.com and tell them Jay sent you. Uh, is this the legendary Sumatsuki?
1: This is Sumatsuki. How are you?
0: <laughs> this is Jay Michaels. If I'm on the line, you're on the air.
1: Okay, I'm on the air then.
0: Well, it's kind of pre recorded, but don't tell anybody. So, okay. congratulations! 33 years?
1: 33 years at Don't Tell Mama, but it's been 35 years this year in terms of. Um Actual singing because I started at the Village Gate like two years prior to that. (sighs) Believe it, I know because
0: I'm so. I'm I'm blinking because uh, uh, please pardon me. I'm not being flattering. When I first heard that, I thought, "What was she like six when she first got on stage?"
1: Well, thank you for saying that, and you're my new best friend forever.
0: Um, I, I have this joke that I do uh, uh, that I do to people sometimes if, they, if they're sufficiently younger than I am, and that's becoming a larger number. Uh, I, I I always say I have boots older than, than you or boots older than that. 33 years? Okay, well, you beat me. I don't have yes. boots older than, than you have been at Don't Tell Mamas. This is an amazing journey you've had. Uh, I
1: used to say I have bras older than you, but then I thought people would think, well, you really should buy some new bras. Yeah, so. yeah
0: exactly. Thank you. So tell our listeners all about Sumatsuki and and this great journey of yours.
1: Well, the journey's been amazing, and I actually really, you know, you don't really think about how long. I know that I've been with Gregory for 25 years, my musical director, which is also a celebration. As of this November, he and I are together 25 years. Wow. Another layer of this celebration this year. But Sydney and I were doing an interview for this book that I'm writing called So You Want to Sing Cabaret, and... In the interview, I said to Sydney, so why do you still do the Sydney speech to every single person who comes through the door to work at Mama's? And he went into his explanation, which is fabulous and in the book. But ultimately he said, because I don't know that signing that contract is for just three shows or six shows or 30 years. And it struck me in that moment, I'm like, well, I certainly have been singing at Mama's for about 30 years. So of course I went home and being the hoarder that I am, I kept everything. And I found a flyer, and my first show was September sixteenth, nineteen um, 1986, um, and it was 33 years, and I was like, holy smokes, so what Sidney said is true, and meant that he and I had this relationship for 33 years, which was miraculous and wonderful, because anyone who knows Sidney Myers falls in love with him instantly, and so that was my relationship with mamas. Um, and so I just threw the show together really quickly, I had had this idea of putting um, all my opening numbers or many of my opening numbers into a show called How's That for Openers. And then I thought, well, how am I going to take that concept and morph it into 33 years and pocket that kind of energy into the show? And it wasn't actually that difficult because I just went back to the stories that were the most popular over the 33 years, many of which were about my travels and my husband forcing me to do all these things, um, you know, Wild adventure things and stuff like that. So it just kind of fell into place. So while the show is with opening numbers, it's not about the opening numbers. It's really a story of the past 33 years at Mama's and singing and funny stories and such.
0: Wow, that's great. Uh, now, you just said your, your husband forced you into doing these wild adventures. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, 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 you want to, you want to share some, uh, that, that's, that's not a line that you just put a period at the end of. That's, that's.
1: Well, in the, in the show, um, there is an explanation for that, but I will share a little bit, um, to maybe entice some of your listeners. Indeed. Now, But, you know, we were both travel agents for Japan Travel Bureau, which is where I met him, hence my last name, Japanese last name, uh-huh. and, um, with that, we traveled a lot. You know, we traveled all over the world and, um really fell in love with travel, but suffice it to say that I honeymooned in the Amazon jungle, and that's a whole other show <laughs> and a whole other <laughs> and I say that when I met my husband, I should have known because when he walks into the room, the theme to the Raiders of the Lost Ark starts to play. Of course. Like, okay, what about this man is not going to cause me to challenge myself and be a lifetime of adventure, and it has been. But, you know, we've been to places people don't even know exist. Um, and I literally followed them to the ends of the earth when we went to Barrow, which is the northernmost tip of the continent, Barrow, Alaska. Right. And we went to Patagonia, which is the southernmost tip of South America. So we've been to all these wonderful places. And um, I think that that might be a future show. I'm going to do something called Passports and just kind of... Take people on these different adventures to places that you know nobody has seen. So that's incorporated in a section of the show. Um, all, all actually part of this thirty-three year journey of you know singing adventures and um, material. <laughs> He's given me a lot of material over the years. <laughs> oh my gosh,
0: yeah. Now, now, now you have this adventurous uh, uh, non-cabaret life. Uh, what what has led you to stay in cabaret for thirty-five years? What What's the allure? What's what's the adventure oh, in cabaret? Oh,
1: face it, Jay. You know, we all make so much money in this business. <laughs> oh, yeah. We walk away from that money. Um, yeah, she says with tongue in cheek. Um, <laughs> listening with tongue you in know, cheek, I, yes. I, when I classes and I say to people when I do the budget part of it, which is very depressing because when you try to create a budget, we all know what it is. Anyone who sings in cabaret knows what it is and that it really should be viewed as an expensive hobby. But when I ask anyone from the highest level person I know to someone just starting out, why this journey? Why do you want to sing? Most often it's some form of because I have to. I don't feel fulfilled. I Part of me is missing when I don't sing. And over these 33 years, I have taken hiatuses, believe me. I've gotten fed up with, you know, never with the community. The community is surprisingly wonderfully supportive. It's more about the business part of it because I'm a businesswoman. I worked as a personal assistant for a billionaire for 23 years. So I have this sense of business that really angers me sometimes when I think about the business of cabaret right? and really ultimately what is the payoff to get asked to do the cabaret convention to get booked out of town i mean there's very little in by way of rewards except your personal bar rewards and your work ethic rewards a long time ago i got rid of what i call the green-eyed monster in terms of coveting other people's journeys you know julie Rayburn's one of my best friends she's one of the best singers in the city and I coveted her voice. I coveted her arc. I coveted everything, but it wasn't that Julie shouldn't have that. It was that I need to raise my own personal bar up to strive to have that similar journey and arc, you know. And this was back 10, 15 years ago when, when she was the it girl. And I guarantee you she's going to be the it girl again because her new show's incredible. But because I love talent and I love these people that I've met along this journey, I have to put my, singer's side away when I review. I have to put my writer's side away when I go to a show sometimes and just enjoy the show as a human being enjoying another person's talent. So getting rid of the green-eyed monster in terms of coveting other people's talent had kind of freed me up to just look at every time I personally stood on stage. The next time I stand on stage, my bar is going up a couple notches. And then thereafter, the next time I stand on stage again, my personal bar is going up a couple notches, but not in relation to anyone else, just in relation to where I was the last time I stepped on stage. It has freed me up so much, and many people who have watched me sing for 30 years, Sidney Meyer included, has said that something clicked in me a couple years ago in terms of my voice being better, my performance being better, everything being better. And I really think, Jay, it was allowing myself just to release any kind of competition in singing and just sing for the joy of it, because I have to, because it goes back to your first question, goes back to why I sing. You know, part of me isn't the same, part of me isn't whole when I'm not performing and singing, so there
0: you go full circle. I have I've uh, had that, that own my own dark night of the soul, as I'm sure every performer anywhere whether it's Shakespeare or, or musical theater uh, that has thought the same thing, and and it's really sure. brilliant what you said is really brilliant, it, it has to come down to your own personal joy, the only person you're competing with is yourself in making yourself better, and, and to, to go after someone else, it just doesn't work it just doesn't work no. um,
1: and you you have a voices. There's people who have voices that I wish, you know, it's not the way I sing, but I'm like, "Oh my god, they're so good." But never at the expense of my own self-worth or my own um self-deprecation saying, "You know, why don't I have that?" Well, I have what I have, and what I have is pretty damn special, and that's what I've come to own. That's
0: right. That's exactly right. It it, it, it it's it's a lot easier and a lot quicker to be proud of yourself than to be envious of someone else.
1: Absolutely. It's wasted energy, too, because it's not going to get you anywhere,
0: honestly. Indeed. Do you have a favorite story, 33 years in one place and 35 years in total? Uh, just the fact you're at the Village Gate, that's that's a, a great entrance. Do you have a particular story or two that you always tell about that moment, whether it's hilarious, heartbreaking, or, or just uh, crazy that has happened to you in Cabaret?
1: Oh, there's so many <laughs> after all these years. Yeah, I think getting my first authentic standing ovation when it wasn't, you know, oh, I'm going to do an encore now. I think I think that was pretty special. That was down in the theater in Florida. I did a show called The Gals Who Make Me Want to Sing, and it was, you know, an older audience, and the theater didn't know me from Adam. But I think the gals that I were I was presenting Ella, I think it was Ella, Peggy, and Rosemary Clooney. And I think that that brought this. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, I think that that's what brought this demographic in was the you know never underestimate of a show concept or name. Um, I have a call coming in. Sorry for the buzzing, but that's I'm okay. Ignoring it for me. Um, so you know, I think that the show sold itself by nature of what the show was, and this audience, you know, here I am, a New York singer that they don't know, and when they started to get up, I was like. A whole theater of 800 people it was really special and then that's when I kind of decided never to view the fake encore and I don't judge it I don't judge it at all even as a reviewer if you're going to do it I want you to own it I want you to get up there I want you to bow get off stage come back up take your encore but these people who say it's the cabaret rule it's the cabaret law blah 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 blah, blah, blah. it's not you know and when you get your first authentic standing ovation and you realize they really do want you back for more. So Gregory and I always have an encore prepared. And I do my 11 o'clock number, and then I do my last two numbers that are thank yous to the audience usually. Sure. And if after that last number they're clamoring or it's appropriate or the show isn't running late or for whatever other reason, and I get back up and they're on their feet, I will – have something to pull out. Gregory and I have been working for 25 years. I can just lean over and say, hey, here's to life and we'll do it. You know, So I don't really do the plan thing um, because that is one of the moments in my career that I'll never forget that meant the world to me and made me realize um, I have to work harder to get them up on their feet. Now in cabaret, there's very few um, standing ovations because you can't physically stand up. <laughs> yeah,
0: I was going to say <laughs> a knock over your drink. And- yes
1: um I have had one. I did have one for this first night of the show. Um, uh, people were standing up where they could. So that was pretty awesome. And I have been noticing that when the work is exceptional, not just mine, anyone's work has been exceptional, that people are standing up. And, you know, friends and family shows where people don't know not to stand up, <laughs> they do. Right. So that's a new thing that's happening. Um, In terms of funny stories, I mean, there was a guy that was literally drunk off his butt, came into my show, came in from the piano bar, and was up front. And he, in the middle of the show, screamed out, sing Melancholy, baby, I swear oh, to God. No.
0: I thought that's like <laughs> a myth. Oh, my goodness. So
1: he was smart enough to know that that's like a running joke or if he really wanted that song, you know. So I, he was starting to be disruptive. And I leaned down to him. And off mic, I said to him, I said, look, you're, you're clearly not having a good time. Let me pick up your drink. I've got a responsibility for this whole audience. I have to I have to do a show for them. Let me pick up your drink. And so why don't you just sneak out in between these two songs and, you know, thank you for coming. And I appreciate that you were here. And, of course, he didn't know what to do. So he got up and he left. Mm-hmm. And and the audience started clapping as soon as the door shut. Um, you know, because he was disrupted. I and mean, I feel like it's my job to keep that room flowing and going it's the only time I've had anything like that happen but I was proud of me but a lot of my singing friends said you know only you could get away with that because a lot of people would have ended up in disaster with something like that with someone staying and screaming and whatever but you know to treat something like that with kindness and not flat him out and try to let him get out of the room with dignity ultimately saved my audience and it was a little blip and I felt like during the song where he was acting out, I think that people were getting nervous for me and how was I going to handle this, which meant they were not focused on the show and I wasn't doing my job, you know. So that was an interesting thing. And, of course, we've all had things where we've said things on stage that made us cringe afterwards, saying, oh, my God, why did I say that? But all of them were lessons. My Japanese mother-in-law was in the house one time. (laughs) Yes. I just went off on, you know all the things that she did that were trying to be helpful, but ultimately weren't because she was living with us at the time. Like she tried to do laundry and she stuck a red sock in the, with the lights. And, you know, she tried to make coffee and forgot to put the pot underneath the thing. And I woke up with coffee all over the counter as if I didn't know who did it because my husband was still sleeping. So, you know, I had to be one person and just things like that. But I'm telling it like, and my mother-in-law, la, 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 la. So my husband's leaning over, you know, interpreting whatever he was interpreting to her. I'm sure it was fabulous and kind. And then I said, I can say all this to you because she doesn't speak English. And someone in the booth, I forgot, I think it may have been Lenny Watts or Sean Moniker said something along the lines of you better hope she doesn't speak English. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oopsie. Yeah, I better. <laughs> so there's been just so many different, funny, wonderful things that have happened in all these years that I've been doing this. And, uh, yeah, I should write a book just on that someday because I'm sure we all have stories of things. We're like, oh, geez, I hope I never relive that again. Oh, yeah. And I hope I relive that again, you know. Uh,
0: uh, that's very funny. That I, could, I could almost see this like a sitcom. You're saying this on stage and your husband is leaning in. You're saying something about the coffee. And he leans in and says, she says you're a wonderful person.
1: Yeah, she made, you, you made the best coffee or whatever he was saying. It really was like a sitcom. And my boss was there one time and I jokingly said, yeah, uh, you know, those flyers on your table because I'm a firm believer in corporate theft. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's a good thing to say to a man I've been working for for 23 years. And I no. just admitted to corporate theft. And although I just said that I made some free copies. And then I was really, I, afterwards I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It was a joke. It was a joke. And he's like, cool. I, I totally get it because, you know, my books and my integrity were above uh, question with him, but still, the things that you say, you're sometimes like, oh, why did I say that?
0: <laughs> you're on like this role, and you know, there you go, you kind of you forget for, for yeah. a brief moment. Staying
1: on script is important, you know, when you have a director, and a director tells you to stay on script, it's usually for a reason. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, now, in all this time, I know you, you, you mentioned a couple of things where you said how things change. How has things changed? In 30 years of cabaret, uh, uh, what would you say are some of the, the more obvious or bigger or, or great or even not so great changes that you've seen in, in the art of cabaret? Well, the
1: great changes are, it's and, and I say this that is good and bad, it's not only the American Songbook anymore, which is a great thing. I sing 80% of the American Songbook, but it's opened up to all kinds of um, genres underneath this big umbrella we call Cabaret. And Cabaret has always been a big umbrella, but it really has expanded over the past 10 years, I think. It's so much more than just, you know, some middle-aged housewife in a sparkly dress getting up and singing um, American Songbooks. Oh, wait, I resemble that remark. Right? sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hey, that's me. Um, But, you know, the youngins that are coming up, the people that K.T. Sullivan and the Mabel Mercer Foundation have been nurturing, and MAC, uh, Manhattan Association of Cabarets, have been nurturing with doing outreach programs to young people to introduce the American Songbook to them, but not make it mandatory that that's what Cabaret is. They're singing their own stuff. Many of them are singing the Songbook, but they're singing their own stuff. They're singing theater pieces, and they're being um, introduced to cabaret and that's what will keep cabaret alive and kicking but in the book that david Sabell and i are writing um we do this chapter on the future of cabaret and honestly it's just it's not just the youngins coming up and doing this and learning what cabaret is it's the millennial it's the you know 55 year old You know, choir director that becomes a smash hit because she realizes she can sing jazz. Hello, Josephine Sanchez. And it's the octogenarian like, you know, Ira, Ira and, um, Sally Darling who are after many, many years coming back to sing with more history and more stories to tell. So it's all these generations that are finding cabaret as a artistic outlet. We don't fit, um, the norm of a type for Broadway. Some of us are, you know, there's people who are ingenue-looking but have the second banana voice and feel, and the reverse is true, people who look like me, um, you know, a big, exhausted girl, and have an ingenue voice, which I don't, but have an ingenue voice and will never be cast as an ingenue. Well, in cabaret, it doesn't matter. You know, what about all those guys that play the sinister roles and they do a cabaret show and it's all beautiful love songs? So you, and Sidney Meyer said this, and David Tabella said this in the book, this is the only genre where you cast yourself as the leading lady or man in whatever this mini-drama production is that you're creating. You have complete artistic license. So these are all the incredible positive things that I see in the future of this genre. However, the negative part is that all the press, all the major press is gone. We used to, you remember this, Jay? We oh, used to course. have a list of daily news, the calendar that Wayman Wong did. Oh, of you know, when they let when they let the New York Times uh, guy go there. What's his name? The famous writer that everybody wanted a, a review from, uh, Stephen uh, Hoagland, Was that his name?
0: Yes. yes. Oh my gosh, I haven't I haven't well, thought his name in a hundred Yeah, you know,
1: get he, he a New York Times review from him was huge. Um, So all these outlets, and it's all because of economics. I mean, again, my businesswoman kicks in. What do we have to offer the New York Times, the Daily News, the Post? Well, we don't buy ads from them because we're, you know, our clubs don't get together and take a section in the newspaper and make it financially worth their while to do these listings. So while we have a lot of places, Nightlife Exchange, Cabaret Hot Spots, um, you know, the Bistro Awards, Uh, online cabaret scenes, all these places are great places and they're doing their darndest to give great reviews, yourself included in your PR uh, push and company, you know, all trying to give cabaret a place to be and exist and writing reviews for people. But okay, unless we know where to go to read these or to get these listings about what's coming up, no one knows. I mean, what we're trying to do is strive to get outsiders, people who come to town, the um, tourists. Sure. Realize that cabaret is an alternative to theater, a, a cheaper cabaret, a cheaper alternative to theater. You know, where you can go, and someone's husband who doesn't want to be stuck two hours in the theater can see a show for you know one hour, and then that's a whole other ball of wax, Jay. In that, someone walks into a club that has mom and pop shows, sees one of those shows, and is like, "Oh, geez, this is what cabaret is." versus them walking in to see a Julie Rayburn or a Karen Mason or a Sue Matsuki and saying, oh, my God, this is what cabaret is. It's a hard sell unless those people walk into one of the better shows and realize, oh, my goodness, this is a whole other world I didn't even realize existed here. So how do we reach those people? Those people are reached through, um, you know, things like the City Guide or these Red Bus Tours now, people always say, well, we should put our postcards with concierges, but yeah, unless you know a concierge that's going to pass out your card, or you, you know, give them 50 bucks to do it, your cards are going to end up in a garbage pile. They're going to yes you and say, yeah, great, sure, I'll hand them out. Unless you pay them or follow up that they're still on their desk, it's not going to work. So. And then you have to
0: make triple the postcards that you normally would, so that's that's cash Absolutely. outlay right there.
1: No expense that's not really working to your advantage, so right. um, I this is the next wave of how we, as an industry, and again, David Savelle and I are trying to change the reference of cabaret community, which we love because that connotates one thing into a cabaret industry. Because unless we find a way to get um, a TV guide type listing someplace, which is what we're trying to do at Cabaret Hotspots, right. has have a, you know one place where you can go and go on the calendar and everybody's listed there. But this is. Yet another layer, unless all the clubs share their URL with us, they don't automatically download into calendars. So, unlike what Stu Hamstra did years ago by manually inputting every show at every club in the city on any given night, that's not going to happen. So, how do we do that? And that's, you know, I'd like to form a committee either through Mac or someplace else that really can look at this as a business and project forward and try to figure out a way to make this more of an industry and get those reviews back in the papers by somehow, maybe, consolidating four or five clubs who want to pay for a spot, and then they get to rotate and put up shows, you know, once a month, they get a week's worth of I don't know. There's ways of figuring this out, but it's got to be figured out so that it makes sense financially to everybody, you know? I
0: completely agree. Uh, uh, I was very saddened. The New York Times at one point finally announced they will not... Uh, have listings for any off-off-Broadway shows. And and my whole stock and trade, whether it's cabaret or theater, is all independent theater, and they're not going right. to list them anymore. And, right. and I was so saddened. And uh, do you think it comes down to money? Do you think it comes down to the fact that everyone's going to Broadway, but uh, how many people are sitting in, that thea- in, in the cabaret space or that off-off-Broadway space for, for its limited run? Uh, do you think the newspapers just don't care because they're not going to make the revenue?
1: Absolutely. I think that Broadway shows can afford to take out, and these ads are not cheap, Jay. These are like, you know, I, I don't even know. I can't even give you an estimate. But, you know, the last time that Mac looked, because Mac did look at this when I was on the board at one point, but to take out an ad, um, even like a little square up in the corner on a Sunday, you know, entertainment section, which would behoove everybody because that's where people look at the entertainment section. Of course. It's like thousands of dollars. So that little teeny square, how you know, Broadway Show can certainly afford it, and off Broadway show probably can't, cabaret certainly can't. But right. so what if we got four clubs that would share that amount and put an ad in on that section and then agree amongst themselves that, you know, if they take it for a month that every club gets one week and let's see if that boosts bodies in, in the shows. But then there's all the economic aspect of these are small rooms. The maximum amount of people, like let's even just say sixty people at twenty bucks a head. That's twelve hundred dollars max that the singer's going to earn in the room. Right. And then the room is going to take a hundred bucks for the tech, and the room's going to take two or three or four dollars per person, you know, as the as the additional room charge, staff charge. So now you're looking at you know a maximum amount of anywhere between eight hundred to a thousand dollars that you're going to net. But then you've got your band costs. It's just impossible for the club themselves, unless they're attached with a successful restaurant or, you know, which some of them are, to justify that kind of expense, um, unless it's a shared expense. So I, I even thought of asking, you know, several singing friends of mine who are doing longer runs or residencies to consider buying a, a cluster ad where, you know, we put, you know, Cabaret is alive and well in New York City, and then do a little ad of those of us who have shared this expense for, um, you know, a month or a year's full of shows. If, if, you know, several people are doing residencies now, so it would benefit them to have every Tuesday at 7 o'clock, you know, Gretchen Reinhagen, or every, you know, Saturday or Sunday at 1 o'clock, Richard Skipper celebrates, or something like that. Those right. kinds of acts that are going up uh, on a monthly basis. Might be a good way to start to reintroduce cabaret um, with them or their producers, maybe taking a spot. You know, I don't really know what the answer is. I have to really examine the figures and stuff like that again as a businesswoman to see what could serve the community best, um, and then make suggestions. You know, uh, bring it to Mac or bring it to I don't know whoever, and bring it to the community. See, and, I, th- and, I think ex-
0: I think you and David Sabella have have. The, the writer idea, what you're saying, um, I completely agree with. I am so totally on board with. The, the, the one thing is, why are, why are we going to the other camp? Uh, what you're doing with Cabaret Hotspot, what you're both doing with Cabaret Hotspot, is creating the New York Times of Cabaret. Uh, everyone... I'm
1: trying, but it, there's, there's limitations because unless clubs share the URL – um, you know, he and I are writing a book and doing shows and this, that, and, you know, there's only so much one person oh, can do. And we're not in a place yet where, um, we can pay someone, uh, to manage that. And down the road, hopefully with membership and whatever, we would be able to. But maybe the answer is that those of us that are writing and get together, you know, Scott Barberino and someone who's Frank Tang from Cabaret Scenes and Roy Sander from, uh, you know, Bistro and sit and brainstorm and see how and how we can all figure this out in a way that we can approach the industry, Go maybe go back to the newspapers and say, you know, give us, give us a month, give us a month and see what happens, you know, see if we can then generate revenue to then take out a formal ad, you know, even if it's just the calendar that Wayman used to do. That was so helpful.
0: Of course, of course. Uh, you uh, know, just to have, uh, have it at your fingertips. That's, that's what, I, what all audiences need.
1: Yeah, and and again, non-cabaret-knowing people, need we need a kind of um, press push on what is cabaret and what isn't cabaret. When I worked at MAC, again, when I was on the board um, of MAC, I went to every 10th person standing in the tickets booth line on Broadway, and I said, what is cabaret? And I recorded them, and uh, it was the Dirty Men's Club, it was Liza Minnelli, it was the movie – No one, not one person out of the 50 people that I asked knew that it was an alternative to theater, that it was a little, you know, black box type or small club room with 60 seats that they could go and listen to people who've been on Broadway and people who are what we call cabaret stars and names do a one hour program with a two drink minimum. Most, everyone thought it was like a dirty men's club.
0: Oh yeah, most people, most people think it's nightclub. That's, that's what people think. Otherwise they think it's
1: burlesque nightclub when i asked what is a nightclub they got nightclub so maybe the problem is the marketing of what cabaret is nightclub connotates you know frank sinatra keely smith and rosemary clooney singing at rainbow and stars and a big room and the band you know that's what nightclub brought up to people well it's it's a little it's a little
0: closer to cabaret than porn might be so so i'd be willing to say nightclub if they'd listen
1: Yeah, so I think Cabaret has a bad rap by nature of what the name is. And do we as an industry change the name? Because Cabaret, as we all know it, who love it, understand what it is. But then how do we market what we know it to be in context to it's not really nightclub. It's not really theater. It's something in between, and it's really, really special. That's what I think we have to take a look at in terms of future marketing.
0: I I completely agree, and, and count me in. Whatever you're doing, needless sure. to say, count me in. I think... Good. And
1: you know, this book, um, David and I are doing, again, and I, I, don't, I don't keep mentioning it to promote it. It's not going to be out until 2002, but it's called So You Want to Sing Cabaret. It's published by Ro- uh, Roman and Littlefield, and it's part of the 20-book series on So You Want to Sing Contemporary Music, So You Want to Sing Opera, So You Want to Sing Blues. So we're the last book in this... 20-book run of books that are geared towards educators. So this is the first book about cabaret-specific that's, to this extent, Bob Harrington wrote a fabulous book when he was working with the Bistros on the basics of what cabaret is and this um, description of it. But this was many, many years ago. And, of course, Cabaret Umbrella has changed so much. But this is more specific, a book on training someone in Iowa who has a class of music students. And they don't know what cabaret is. Well, now they do. They have a book of what it is, the intimacy, the interviews with uh, industry professionals, the how-to part of it. You know, what building a team means? What does a director do? What does a musical director do? How do you save money? How do you build a budget? This is all in this one book. It became a mammoth project, and even the editors of the book were like, wow, this became a bigger beast than we thought, but it's all good. And they agreed to make it a bigger book because the wealth of information has never been put in one place before so David and I are extremely proud and extremely excited and I have to do a shout out to Roy Sander for helping us with a lot of um, the background historic information and correcting things and editing things he's been amazing um, to us as a resource and as a friend on making this book that much better so we're very excited about coming out we're hoping it comes out by March by Cabaret you know March is Cabaret Month sure. and um It will be a huge resource, but it also will clarify a lot to people who don't know across the country. Because remember, this is going to educators across the country through this network of this um, publishing company in that market. So I'm hoping that, you know, someone that now comes to New York with their little bag and goes to Don't Tell Mama this thing at the open mic now has a better understanding of what cabaret is and will join us. And that maybe this book will legitimize the genre more. And I want to send it, we're planning on sending it to the Daily News and the you know, uh, New York Times and all the other outlets that have let us go to say, look, this is what this genre is and you need to help us try to support it again. So we'll see. We're going to do everything we can as we get to each little bridge that we have to cross. But that's our big plan.
0: I worked for the Daily News for a number of years. So when you're ready to do that, please let me know. I'd be glad to help.
1: It will happen to every one of you, you know, um, all all you guys that are out there doing the PR work and helping and promoting and everything. We're gonna we're gonna maybe do a big meeting once this is out and see what we can do and bring you to the table and let's brainstorm and let's see if we can't make this community an industry again. You I know? would love. Um, it. I would love. Yeah, thank. Thank that.
0: Oh, oh, my pleasure. Uh, uh, I, I knew it. Uh, someone who's 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 been in Cabaret 35 years, of course, it's not just going to be about, oh, look at the lovely song I'm singing, La La. You're, you're like in the foundation of, of the entire genre itself. So it, it has been a pleasure speaking to you. Um, I could thank go on for hours with this, and I plan to, but I don't think our listeners want to listen to us for an hour or three or six. So,
1: they're not. So, yeah. so there'll
0: be other, there'll be other uh, uh, conversations online and off. Um, uh, Sue, thank you so much. This has been marvelous. I will make sure our listeners know exactly where they can see your cabaret and what cabaret is and how marvelous it is and all the amazing things that they could see at a very reasonable price throughout New York. Thank you so much.
1: I really appreciate the time, and um, go to see a show, everyone.
0: (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. Thank you so much, Sue. Take care. Ciao. Bye. In the Passion Pit, would like to extend its sincerest thanks to another New sponsor. Eva Heineman and her top notch team of seasoned expert writers such as Jan Ewing and William Cataldi set out to make sure that independent theater is not only heard but seen. Her television program, High Drama, is the ears and eyes of the independent theater community, offering honest yet supportive reviews published on Facebook. EVA also broadcasts on Spectrum and other cable stations on periodic Saturdays. They review Broadway, Off-Broadway, and Off-Off-Broadway. All productions get the same treatment. No glitz, no smoke and mirrors, just honesty, entertainment, and support. The name of the program is Ironic, Hi, as in Hello, Drama. Just how many emerging artists saw themselves critiqued on television for the first time just how many audience members were introduced or rather said hi to drama, to theater, and to the independent self-producing artist. Look up Hi Drama on Facebook and visit them on Manhattan Cable and just say, wait for it, hi. We have a whole bunch of Passion Pit stops coming up, spotlighting some international actors and singers Lori Ray Waugh's latest and most controversial production, and other holiday gifts under the passion pit tree. But our final full broadcast of 2019 will be next week. And it's one that's perfect for the upcoming holiday season. It's a story of joy and of fortitude and even a bit of miracles. Our holiday show features Sky Walters and how the best medicine for his condition is to get up every day and sing. Let's leave tonight with a ditty dedicated to Fortitude, to Sue, to Skye, and to all of us who call ourselves artists. I dare you to not cry at Elaine Stritch singing, I'm Still Here. Until then, I'm Jay Michaels.
2: Good times and bum times I've seen them all and my dear I'm still here Plush velvet sometimes Sometimes just pretzels and beer But I'm here I've stuffed the dailies In my shoes Strummed ukuleles Sung the blues Seen all my dreams disappear, but I'm here. I've slept in shanties, guest of the WPA, but I'm here. Danced in my scanties, three bucks a night was the pay, but I'm here. I've stood on bread lines for the best, watched while the headlines did the rest. In the depression, was I depressed? Nowhere near. I met a big financier, so I'm here. <laughs> I've been through Gandhi, Wally, and Windsor's Affair. And I'm here. Amos and Andy, Mahjong and platinum hair. But I'm here. I got through A.B.'s Irish Rose, Five Dion Babies, Major Bowls, had heebie-jeebies, poor BB's bathysphere. I lived through Barbara Walters. I've gotten through Herbert and J. Edgar Hoover. Gee, that was fun in the half. When you've been through Herbert and J. Edgar Hoover. Anything else is a lie. I've been through Reno. I've been through Beverly Hills. Ha, ha, ha. And I'm here. <laughs> Reefers and vino, rescuers, religion, and pills. But I'm here. And called a pinko, commie tool. got through its stinko by my pool, I should have gone to an acting school, that seems clear, and still someone said she's sincere, so I'm here next day goes into hot but i'm here top billing monday tuesday you're touring in stock but i'm here first you're another slow eyed bam then someone's mother then your camp then you career from career to career I'm almost through my memoirs that I do. I've gotten through. Hey lady, aren't you hoozes? Wow, what a looker you were. Or better yet, sorry, Jesus, I thought you were hoozes. Whatever happened to her? Time's a dumb time. Beer. I have run the gamut. A to Z. Three chairs, damn it! me, I got through all of last year.